0: Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel Coming to you every day. Welcome back. To the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And today is a very wet, cold, rainy day. And we are snuggled up beneath our very winter woollies in the podcast studio at the Hub and very happy to be nestled beside the TEDx letters which are kind of giving me some sort of form of comfort knowing i'm going to be on stage next to them on the 29th of march but today's guest um is somebody i've literally only just met in the last few days as always happens in a co-working space um fabulous people rub shoulders next to you at the coffee line and the next thing you know um they're coming on your podcast so i'm very excited Um, for the last-minuteness of this particular guest's entry into our world. And she's a lady um, I'm very excited to introduce to you. Um, She's only literally just arrived to the island, so you may not have ever met her uh, thus far. Um, But I'm very, very pleased to welcome Eleanor Manley, CEO of Metaspace, to the Reset Rebel podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat about Metaspace and Ibiza for sure.
0: I mean, Eleanor... I think the first thing, I just wanted to read you a little quote that kind of meant a lot to me when I read it many, many years ago. And it was from Steve Jobs. And he says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. And I gather that that quote was to do with the fact that he had studied calligraphy in 1972 and I was listening to one of the podcasts that you'd already done um in the run-up to this conversation and I just kind of one thing really struck me and that was when you were talking about the fact that you've kind of analyzed a lot of text um in the project that you have put together so I just wanted to start there I mean how did you you know go on such a technological journey um to set up Metaspace and maybe you can kind of introduce like what you actually do with the software.
1: Definitely. So, um, I didn't actually want to start my own company and I definitely never saw myself in tech. Um, I originally started off doing um, international relations and politics, but then became really interested in how data was being used to influence elections. So, I then decided to do a master's in data science. And it was during that master's that I completely fell in love with natural language processing, which is how a computer understands text. And so, you've probably seen a lot of information recently around like GPT and the use case of that well that is a form of natural language processing algorithm Um, but more specifically to my work with Metaspace is we work on preventing reporting and resolving workplace misconduct and one of the things I did towards the prevention of workplace misconduct was collect loads and loads of data about discrimination and harassment um, for an NLP algorithm
0: How did that journey of analysing natural language um, work out for you? Because it sounds, yeah, just like quite out of the ordinary, I suppose, to be looking at that kind of language and must be quite confronting as well.
1: Yeah, so I spent about eight months doing data collection. Um, Three months were me going down the world's worst internet websites basically so imagine uh, the 4chans the 10chans the reddit forums all of these places which are called echo chambers where you have people basically usually saying comments that are targeted towards people that aren't like them and that they think are inferior to them and you know for us it was really important because today a lot of work is remote so we wanted to try to understand how could we protect remote workers from this but then on the flip side we also know that harassment is happening so much still in face-to-face interactions and for example the hospitality industry is one of the ones that has the highest rate of harassment at around 89 per cent per employee.
0: Wow that's like a really shocking figure and I think you know obviously half the island really uh, is based around hospitality. I mean you know there's obviously some major careers that happen here from teaching yoga, DJing, chefing, but that, you know, that whole hospitality world is, is huge here. So, I mean, how much time have you spent analysing that data? You say eight months of natural language research, yeah. which is, um, yeah, which is nothing short of uh, equivalent to doing like a master's.
1: Yeah, so we set up the company in 2021 and the natural language processing was definitely the f- one of the first steps that we took to understand how we could um, kind of help companies manage misconduct. But I would say that the evolution of that was also then developing the reporting application and the resolution center for companies so that we could both help companies that are remote working as well as ones who are interacting or just in more kind of traditional industries. Um, as you mentioned, Ibiza, the hospitality industry is huge and it's definitely something that we should be working to make sure that everyone feels uh, safe and empowered uh, whilst they're going about their day-to-day.
0: So what was it that inspired you to set up Metaspace? Because I I gather there was an incident that took place that kind of was the catalyst for you and your partner to create this in the first place.
1: Yeah, exactly. So um, we were witness to a sexual harassment case and it affected half the women around us. And it went unresolved and the actual reporting process was more emotionally draining and more traumatic than the actual event itself. So we realised, oh my goodness, if we could actually help in the prevention, so nipping it in the bud before it actually happens um, as well as then help companies understand oh what are the processes that they should be doing because unfortunately the majority of companies aren't trained on how to manage misconduct because it's not their day-to-day business right Um, and so what we're trying to do is provide a bit of transparency from all the data that we've collected to something that previously has been so opaque and so about kind of um, you know putting it under the rug or turning a blind eye to it.
0: But what, you know, how did that process actually unravel? You know, what was it about that case specifically that made you think that that's not, you know, the way it should be? that's a really good
1: question I think for us it was not only just the size of the case um, the fact that it affected about 15 women around us um, but also how it came about Um, it was really interesting because basically no one had spoken up about the behavior that they were experiencing and all of a sudden just on a kind of very casual conversation someone made a comment saying oh actually I haven't been feeling comfortable about how this person has been treating me and then it basically snowballed into to me too me too me too and then when we went to report it and um, go through the resolution process the organization that we were part of at the time just basically shut down and completely did not want to deal with it because they were so afraid that this was going to go public and that it would affect their reputation but that actually and it took about three months for them to make a decision about this case so this actually made it far worse because it put the people involved in the case in a position where they didn't know what was happening um, if it was going to affect their position within the organization itself and so what we're trying to do is you know the duality of okay let's create um, work environments where people feel safe and empowered to report as quickly as possible because that allows then companies to de-escalate cases so really what we want them to do is go through it as quickly as possible because three months is actually a minimum for most companies usually it takes up 360 days for companies to find resolution per case and that's a lot of money a lot of time a lot of lost productivity
0: i mean i've been through a uh, a process myself in a company i worked for in the past in london and as soon as that complaint procedure went through i mean i was signed off and i i never actually returned but you know As you said, until the resolution came and the sit down and the big meeting, that was like minimum two months when I was sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, obviously feeling extremely anxious about that. So if that, you know, for these kinds of cases takes a hell of a lot longer, I mean, that's just agony for the people involved. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're trying to teach a lot of people at the moment is uh, what
1: what tends to happen within these cases is that you go through what is like an official investigation and then companies tend to have a zero tolerance approach to misconduct and what's interesting about um, zero tolerance approaches to misconduct from our data is that it actually leads com- um, employees less likely to report because interestingly when you ask someone oh how would you want your case resolved it's actually very unlikely that they would want the person sacked usually they just want the behavior to stop or not to have to interact with that particular person. But it's very unlikely that people want to actually affect the livelihood of people. And so zero tolerance actually has the opposite effect of what companies want. And it also means that when it goes through an investigation process, they have to be seen as making a stand. And so what we're trying to do instead is say, no, let's see what we can have as learning moments that the whole company can learn from the situation um, and also then explain to them the different types of resolution that they can achieve and that they don't have to resort to zero tolerance approach to misconduct to create these safe workplaces.
0: I think it's very interesting, you know, that this sort of conversation has come to the fore in the current climate because, you know, when I was working as a journalist in London, I could name, you know, more than one incident where, you know, very salubrious scenarios unfolded and made me feel deeply uncomfortable and I remember again listening to your pod, you know, your other work before this conversation and hearing that you know most women don't really tend to even report this just like I didn't because I was too scared and I was only 20 something and I just thought well you know I don't want to get sacked for that um, because you know when you're working particularly in the media industry it usually from what I saw and experienced myself happens to you know, younger women who are vulnerable and also not as big a star, perhaps, as the person that's, you know, inflicting this kind of behaviour. So I think it's very interesting because I think, obviously... The world is more aware of these kinds of things happening now. And, you know, the fact that you've even started a company that can actually tackle this situation and have a process that in place for companies to use is nothing short of amazing. But imagine, you know, how much of this has gone on in the past, undetected, uncharted, unreported. and. You know with some very unpleasant situations so I think it's brilliant work that you're doing and very um, highly commendable and exciting and um, what you know apart from just that situation with um, the physical situation that you were, you know you uh, witnessed what you know what else as a woman working in the tech world that has kind of maybe inspired you to want to kind of explore this deeper I definitely
1: think that firstly, one of the statistics that really has struck me has been firstly that although women do get affected more frequently than men, there's still the statistic that 30% of men are affected by harassment in the workplace. So it's still something that happens to pretty much everyone and it's something that we have to bear in mind. And I think it's along the broader kind of lines of companies today really are trying to push inclusion to the forefront of their missions Um, but there seems to be a lot of people who kind of talk the talk but don't necessarily walk the walk in that way and one of the reasons why is because there's a real lack of data around how to make companies more inclusive. Um, You can definitely do like training and you know have conversations but what you need as well are tools to back that up to make real change. And so with us that's what we're trying to do with Metaspace is say here's a tool where you can you know track everything that's going on in your company but also we don't want to remove normal relationships from the workplace i think that's something that's so important right like you also want to be able to have friends within the workplace even something more and so that's also something that we try to make companies understand is going against the zero tolerance approach to make sure that it's a lot more gray and it's okay that it's gray because that's what makes us human that's what makes it normal and that's what makes a workplace great to work in and we don't want to have these super stale workplaces where people dread to go in because they fear like everything that I say is going to be taken out of uh, context or I can't joke so I think it's just about equipping um, companies with the best practices to prevent it, equipping employees with the best ways to report if they're target or witness to it, but then making sure that resolution is collaborative so that not only the company deals with the resolution, but also the employee.
0: What happens if that conversation takes place and it's not on email or you can't record it somehow and analyse it and if it's a verbal exchange, then you know, how does that work?
1: Yeah, so that's why we have the reporting app. So it's on employees' mobile devices, they can report all types of workplace misconduct, even anonymously if they want, and it allows them to report what they want, where they want and when they want. And it doesn't have to be something that happened online. It can be really something that happened, you know, face to face. So for example, We discussed previously how frequent within the hospitality industry harassment was and misconduct was. Um, But we also allow you to report things like fraud and bribery, for example, which is also a big issue there. So, you know, you can just basically report anything and then it directly goes to the HR within your company. We don't get involved in cases. uh, We're just like the means of communication uh, for the, the company
0: how much of uh, the misconduct is kind of sexual versus other you know fraud and bribery or other scenarios that may kick off
1: that's a really really interesting question so firstly in terms of like i, I would so in terms of like peer-to-peer is definitely sexual harassment is the most frequent unfortunately Um, it's the one that you'll see companies have the most of but really interesting though is that um, for fraud and bribery whistleblowers play a pivotal role And I think it's something like 80% of cases are made known to companies by whistleblowers. So without whistleblowers, fraud and bribery isn't a really tricky place. And so that's also why we want to make sure that all types of workplace misconduct can be um, um, reported. But we also find that there's a real correlation between people's poor behavior. So if someone feels empowered to bully or to harass... We also find them that they're also likely to step over the line in other ways, perhaps financial.
0: How are you feeling as a woman? um, And I don't know how old you are exactly. You don't have to tell us if you don't want to. But, you know, someone of your age to be instilling this kind of narrative into the tech world that there is a system in place. This is not okay You must be feeling pretty empowered yourself by creating this platform.
1: Yeah, I'm 25. I started this company when I was 22 with my best friend. So it was very much just like a passion project that just grew and grew. And we're so grateful for the people who support us. I'm so grateful for how it resonates with so many people, but also that it positively affects companies, right? Like we've made a business case around the fact that we can help companies stop uh, from being sued and we can make sure that their employees feel empowered and productive. Um, But I would say like I'm yeah, I, I love the work that I'm doing and I'm so grateful to have been able to get into tech and I try to mentor other women and other individuals to try to start getting into tech as well because I think it's such an amazing industry that opens up a realm of possibilities and you don't need to necessarily be a coder to to know to get into tech, but you just need to know what options are available for you.
0: I, mean, I think there's an evening standard. I used to work for them creating a tech podcast, the Tech and Science Daily News Download. But there was another one. There's another really big podcast and it's got a great pun-infused name, which I can't remember the name of for the life of me, of course, now. But that's definitely a link I I would love to send you because it's all about women in the tech space. And I think, you know, I was actually having a conversation just before I came here with a lady who's creating a new uh, app for lawyers. And, you know, I was telling her actually during the pandemic when I was um, working as a newsreader, that, you know, I was finding it extremely depressing. And the one thing I found extremely inspiring was when I got taken off the hard news, which was obviously meth, misery and death and um, nothing that we, anybody really wants to kind of dive into on a daily basis at that moment in time. But I was working on um, developing this new tech and science podcast. And I found, you know, it was very, very positive that that news line. And you know, there was no shortage of just like unbelievably interesting new developments on a daily basis. And I I think obviously, you know, when you're spending your time researching those kinds of stories all day, uh, it's very good in terms of your mental health, I think, to kind of know that people are working on such exciting projects all the time. And, And that whole space is just like a really exciting place to be. So, you know, how difficult was it when you say... Um, I think there's a podcast called, you know, women who, you know, women coders. There's groups I've seen online about that kind of thing as well. But assuming that you didn't specifically develop this software yourself, did you work with a developer, or how did it happen?
1: Yeah, so my whole team is technical. So my co-founder, myself, and then our founding partner Nora, who's our CTO. We're all women. It's basically unheard of in B two B so B two B software as a service to have all women as a tech team. Um, but you know, when we started the company, we did have comments being like oh why didn't you hire a male CTO it might make it easier for you to attract investors and we just thought no like we we have the technical capabilities to do so you know it would make more sense for us to hire someone in business you know the tech didn't need help with at all Um, Where did that comment come from? That's interesting because it's actually happened about three times Um, and it came one from an angel investor who we didn't take money from um, another one from like people that we met during a network. But And what was your response we just laugh you know i think you have to take uh, we i mean obviously we're in a space where we're working towards gender equality but i think y- you can't necessarily have negative responses to this because ultimately usually like in this case and in every case that we've had comments like that it usually comes from a place where they think they're being helpful like these people were like oh actually I think what you're doing is important so how can I you know position yourselves to make your message softer um, how can I help you you know make sure that you get more investors and obviously it's based off but like um, what's it called um, bias and prejudice which they don't even recognize themselves and you know you can't like i strongly believe you can't be angry at that like you just have to laugh it off And then, you know, explain why that comment might be out of place. So, you know, in our case, we said, well, exactly what I just said to you, it would make more sense to hire a business person and a man um, uh, rather than a technical person, because that's the last thing that we needed. How many of you in your team? Yes, there's currently seven of us. Um, Yeah, we work usually, the three of us as a core team, that's never changed. And then we usually work with freelancers and contractors to plug in the places that we need. I've moved from a technical role now to a pure commercial side role, which has been an insane journey over the last four years to be a machine learning engineer thrown into sales, especially complex selling where I need like about five or six different people to sign off for every deal. It's really, really been hard, but... I've been so fortunate that we just finished Techstars, which is an accelerator program and an investment fund um, that have supported us. And I have a really amazing group of um, investors, angel investors and advisors who help me through everything.
0: Mm. I think that's interesting that you just said there that you switched after four years. And what age did you set this up?
1: Um, So... I, sorry, I meant four months ago if I said four years. <laughs> I was thinking, God oh, yeah. <laughs> I set this up I set this up when I was twenty two, so um it was about well, it'll be two years in March. Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. How exciting. I mean, I was just wondering if you maybe it was something you launched when you were at university or where did you study? Um, I was in Madrid. So the company is originally actually registered in
1: Madrid as of March 2021. So therefore our two years are coming up. Um, And then we flipped the company to a US Delaware Corp as of November of last year.
0: And this is, you know, your best friend is someone that you obviously spent time in. She's American. So she, how come you decided to, to make it an American company?
1: So she's American. Uh, sorry, no, she's not American. What am I saying? She's I said that. Yeah, <laughs> she's German-Italian and we met at university seven years ago and we've just always worked together and it basically happened over by text. You know, we basically were texting about the, the case that we were witnessing and she sent me a text saying, Ellen, we should do something bigger than this. And... And I was like, oh, do you mean start a WhatsApp group? (laughs) And and then she was like, no, bigger. And so after that, what we did is I immediately signed us up for our our university incubator. I went to IE University. And um, we didn't have a name. We were just called Eleanor and Helena, like as the name of the company. And we just knew that we knew the problem. We had the data to back it up. And since then, we've just been pivoting and evolving. And we're super excited to now evolve for the U.S. market.
0: I mean, let's talk about the name, seeing as you brought it up. I mean, Eleanor and Heller is great, but um, I love Meta. And there's obviously much more, you know, deeper meaning behind that name. Because obviously I was speaking to somebody here in the hub and they were like, oh, we've got a girl working from, you know, working for Meta in our mix. And I was thinking, wow, um, not that it's not actually for me more impressive to listen to what you're really doing with this Meta company. But I think I'd love to hear like how you came up with that name.
1: Yeah, so we were originally called mudita, uh, which is a Pali word to mean um, the joy that you feel for the happiness of others. And so Pali is like the language of Buddhism. And we thought that was really beautiful. But the word mudita, we've realized in Spanish, actually means um, a woman who doesn't speak. So it was literally against the kind of plan that we were going for right like we're trying to empower people to speak up and we didn't really like that it had this word like mood in it whilst what we're trying to do is real about objective and data driven resolution so we came up with meta space so meta is um, means kindness and we like the idea of creating a kind space but we also loved kind of the double entendre and the double meaning of meta as in ma- metadata so um, the, the collection of data to really see things um, on a a large picture but differently from meta facebook we're written with two t's
0: i really like what you said about you know the fact that you created this to empower people to speak up and actually it's something that i've been um, looking at a lot more for the last few years i teach a podcast course here at the hub and one of my you know big things that i really focus on through my work and obviously working with people in that capacity i hear people kind of saying that they feel fearful or nervous about you know Having something to say, having something interesting to say, having something that people actually want to listen to um, as well. And I think that those are just all obviously fear based blocks that I think are quite hard to come over. And, and, and specifically from the kind of work that you're doing in the area that you're focusing on, um, I think it's just amazing that you've got this desire to empower people to say what they need to say and you know I know that you were saying um, that you know only 30% of women were more likely to resign than actually speak up and say what they need to say so I think you know where did you get this impetus or where do you think you found the strength in yourself to you know empower yourself within the space that is you know predominantly men as you've just joked about and told me a few little comments but also you know where do you think that comes from that strength within you to kind of share this message?
1: I think that um, for me what's been most important is just the the support of a network Um, you know so many times we've just had you know Helena and I have had doubts of like you know this isn't moving fast enough uh, what can we be doing more and everyone around us has just been saying keep going keep going and we're like oh we can't keep going but you know we just do and I think that when you're going for a mission like that where you know we have people reach out to us and say you know they're so vulnerable with sharing their own stories and sharing you know their own experience of the workplace that I just can't imagine doing anything else Um, so you know I'm just really grateful to have an incredible network and you know about them I really liked what you said about like finding your own voice I think that that's something that every single person I speak to struggles with like it's definitely not it's a unique experience by any means. Um, and that's definitely something that I experienced that and that every founder that I've ever met experiences too. And I think it's just about, you know, failing fast so and learning from your mistakes and just going for it when whenever you
0: can. Thank you for saying that because, um, as I said, it's just become a subject a little bit dear to my heart for, for lots of different reasons, but to the point where actually I set up a women's voice activation retreat in November and in the run-up to Christmas. And, you know, I really wasn't sure how it was going to go down. And we had like 12 different guest speakers and we had 12 guests as well who actually attended in just like a little art gallery for three days. And yeah, it 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 is about creating a safe space, but it also requires people to be able to show up and and be vulnerable and to share and I think you know when you are in a women's space that sometimes feels more accessible but I also think you're right I don't think it's exclusive to women I think it's I think it's everybody after the last few years obviously you know we've all been a bit more internal but I think just people being able to speak up in general lately feels like a bit of a theme I don't know how much you've experienced of that in in that line of work
1: yeah 100% I think you know there's firstly just broadly like the founder experience where you know mental health is a big issue for founders I would say you have to basically you're constantly selling a dream that doesn't exist yet right especially in the early days and so you're walking this uh, very difficult balance where you're trying to sell something you're trying to show people how important it is but also keep your ego in check to make sure that you're not just saying things that aren't actually going to come to reality or start believing something which isn't going to happen Um, and so that balance is really really hard to maintain as a founder i would say Um, and i see a lot of people struggle with it and what tends to happen is that you go one way or the other so you're either just um you get really internal and you get really worried and that's that kind of imposter syndrome um and i think that happens to absolutely everyone um or you have other founders who, you know, you've seen kind of the cases with like WeWork and Theranos who just, you know, completely just started believing in their own lies, basically. And that's when it gets really, really difficult. So this idea of, of speaking up and being true to oneself, I think, is, is very linked to like our ego and making sure that we keep that in check. Um, and I think that applies not just to founders, but every single person, because it's all about human interaction
0: and, and being truthful. Mm. I've just got that rap track going around in my head now called "Don't Believe the Hype." I don't know where that came from, but it suddenly entered my head. Back. Caught you looking for the same thing? It's a new thing. Check out this I bring. All the robe, below the level, cause I'm living low next to the bass. Come on, turn up the radio. They're claiming I'm a criminal, but now I wonder how. Some people never know. The enemy could be the friend. Guardian, I'm now a hooligan. I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist priest the all-cause op- they never had this? Number one, never wanna run about the gun. I wasn't licensed to have one. The minute they see me, fear me, I'm the epitome, a public enemy. Use abuse without clues. I refuse to blow a fuse. They even had it on a news. Don't believe the hype. Don't 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 believe the hype. Don't 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 believe the hype. I think how do you keep your ego gun check then?
1: Yeah, it's um definitely my team i think it's being you know this is why the diversity of teams are so unbelievably important and and when i talk about diversity i don't talk about just gender race eth- you know religion not the classic kind of demographics but I think the way that people perceive problems and the way that they perceive things differently from you and so I'm really lucky that within my my core team we all are very different in the way that we perceive things the way that we tackle problems and so that definitely you know every time we come with a problem a challenge a new idea we're always ready to then ask the question of why how and what we're going to do next And I think for me that's really the most important and as well as I mentioned just having the broader support
0: network um, of those people around me. Mm. I think that's quite interesting because obviously I'm guessing, I mean I don't know if I'm right, but that you don't all work um, in the same office or in the same buildings. You must all be remote which is, you know, something that's really been stepped up a gear in the last few years and obviously has enabled me also to do things like news reading from, you know... (laughs) Under a few pillows here at the hub before this wonderful podcast studio um, was created, and it's you know it's been a very interesting process, but. I'm guessing that you have team meetings on a regular basis to support each other when you can't physically be there to maybe have a glass of wine or, a you know, I don't know, go to a yoga class on a Friday night. It's a little bit of a different story. But I guess that's also enabled you to live the dream here in Ibiza. And you've only been here for two and a half weeks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're a completely
1: 100% remote uh, team. We always have been and probably always will be Um, and we don't just work from you know different countries or different locations but from different continents and completely different time zones so you know our company at the moment is usually between LA and Spain so you know those time zones are pretty different Um, and you know I think you know within the work that we do as well we know that one out of three remote workers have experienced misconduct and have experienced harassment. So it's something that for us, we really can go into companies and understand what it's like with a remote workforce and how difficult it is to control those things. Um, But I definitely think that, you know, Having hybrid workforces and and that flexibility is truly amazing. And, you know, I'm very grateful that my, my family's lived here full time for five years and I've kind of come in and out and I'm looking forward to kind of pose a bit more of a base here now for the next couple of months at least.
0: How would you say the energy is different in terms of tech or your motivation or the kind of subject matter that you're dealing with? Like when you say that your business partner's in L.A. and you just came back from there and spent a bit of time there. Do you feel like the island energy, I know it sounds really hippie, or like supports a bit more of that kind of ability to tap out and do healthy things for you? Or do you think it kind of slows you down? Or how are you feeling?
1: yeah I mean the American hustle is real <laughs> like when you're over there it's just like we were working you know 12 to 13 hour days and it just felt normal it just really you didn't bat an eyelid because everyone's kind of doing the same thing um, but I did find that when I was there after the end of three months I was just absolutely exhausted so I'm still obviously working long hours it's kind of the best thing about being an entrepreneur is that you can work for yourself but it also means that you tend to be working a lot um, but yeah I am I think Ibiza has such an amazing opportunity you know I'm going to pottery class later I do my hikes on Sundays um, and then you can go out for a dance and meet some amazing people and I love the fact that I can also speak about things that aren't my work because that's the the thing I find that when I'm in places like LA it's just like work 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 and I can't switch off Um, and because I also love to talk about my work so it happens that it's very easy for me but Ibiza has this amazing opportunity because no one knows what a b2b SAS is no one is like, there aren't that many people working in tech, so you can kind of talk about different things and, and you know, more things that are towards mental health and positive activity. And yeah, it's fantastic.
0: I think, you know, the more hours you you plow in for an American company, and my experience of working for like CNN, it was just like hours, hours, hours meant you know, that meant success. And I just felt, you know, that was like literally my first job fresh out of uni, and I went from, you know, obviously kind of having a nice time not doing too much and then suddenly I was thrust into the clutches of very ambitious extremely um, competitive American people and I was like holy shit that was like a, a real out of the frying pan into the fire moment and Although I had a massive desire, and I did go over to Atlanta and spent some time at the mothership there of the news organization, but it was it was intense. And my only strategy, really, to cope with all of those long hours, really, was to hit the gym. And, you know, there was a lot of boxes of donuts hanging around over there as well. And I was just like, nah, that's not going to happen. I'm going to get my head down and kind of, you know, find a strategy to deal with this really, really long day. But, you know, if I imagine I was doing that kind of work remotely and being in this environment, I think it would be quite a healthy kind of support system to get a bit more balance going on in my world so I think it's great that you're here I'm very happy that you're here Um, and let's you know talk about the most exciting thing which is kind of how we met yesterday and and this kind of got brought into our conversation about this unbelievable gig that you've got next week um, speaking for the International Women's Day.
1: Yeah, so I'm very, very excited that I'll be speaking at NATO um, in their HQ in Brussels. I'll be giving a talk on women in STEM specifically and how to attract and retain that type of talent. Um, obviously, for, uh, for for me personally, it's something that's very close to my heart. As I mentioned, I love to mentor women, trying to get them more into tech. So I go through the basis of the very early stage of helping them with CVs, cover letters and interviews. But also on a professional level, I think that talent retention is one of our biggest selling points with metaspace is this idea of because women are more likely to resign than to report and because they represent already a small percentage of people in you know especially in technical roles it's so vital that you create atmospheres that make sure that they stay in it and they want to stay in it uh one of the statistics that's always shocked me is that when it comes to data science which is what i do specifically um 40 percent of all data scientists are women at the start of their career but then if you look 10 years down the line that number decreases to 12 percent so there's a massive loss of talent over that 10 year period and a big part of it is because the workplaces are not nice and they just don't you know if you're you're being harassed constantly, if you're being doxxed or bullied and made to feel like you're you're not welcome then, then you do leave and find a different position. Um, So you know that I'm really excited to be speaking at NATO. It's a dream come true for me because uh, as a former international relations student, it's really for me the perfect intersection between politics and tech
0: how do you find that longevity I mean what you know you say that these workplaces are not pleasant but like what what goes off in them what's so terrible
1: Yeah, so I think that especially within tech companies, and we see a lot, especially in scale-ups, so like uh, fast-growing companies, usually they have around 200, 700 employees. They get like big amounts um, of funding and investors. Um, What you find is that because of the huge amount of, of growth and scaling that they're going for, that they'll hire very, very rapidly. And when you're hiring very, very rapidly, it's also really difficult to ingrain your culture and the company values that you're trying to maintain into every new employee um it also means that just the basic tools of like how to create good workplaces are lost because there are so many other priorities going on which are usually like oh you know we want to increase the bottom line of our company And on top of that, what we also see is, like, real power imbalances. So people who, you know, you're in a fast-growing company, you feel like you're on a rocket ship, and the last thing that you want to do is, like, rock the boat by, like, speaking up against perhaps something that you're witnessing or that you're the target of. So that's why people just tend to leave. And, you know, that's why with Metaspace, we really target those types of companies because they're the ones that have the most risk. And in the U.S., they're also the ones that have experienced a 26% increase in their litigation costs over the last three years. Uh, so we know that it's just something that they're being sued for not dealing with this property.
0: We all know that's big business stateside. Um, and I think, you know, that's obviously got its own implications entirely. Um, and that's the difference, I also think, between this messiness between, you know, European standards for that kind of situation and what goes on over there. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But ultimately, I also think it would draw people back, you know, from, again, speaking up, which is extremely important. How are you gearing up? What are you doing to get ready for next Wednesday? Because that's that's that must be quite a big thing for you
1: yeah I'm really really happy to know that I do have a couple of contacts who work for NATO directly so you know asking for their insights on the best people that I should be connecting with the way that I should position myself um, has been really really helpful and usually for any event that I prepare for and I think I've been very lucky that I've done quite a few events and quite a few conferences you know the biggest one I think that I did recently was Web Summit which I think has about 70,000 people and I was on stage there which was insane Um, and you know with these sorts of events you just have to prepare um you have to know who's going to be there what what perhaps their pain points are and their challenges are so when you strike up a conversation you can really hit on those points first um and i know that with nato at the moment they're really feeling behind when it comes to entrepreneurship when it comes to tech when it comes to diversity equity and inclusion so i think that's really an incredible opportunity the fact that they've invited you know um a majority actually are policy makers and researchers, and I feel very fortunate that I've been plugged into that as well, um, to actually kind of learn from and understand how they could be doing better.
0: Why do you think they feel behind?
1: I think with most international organizations, uh, be it governmental or, or, you know, um, NGOs, um it's they're huge organizations you know thousands and thousands of employees and they have so many checks and balances um, that it makes the whole system very bureaucratic so basically the opposite side of of startups right who are quickly evolving for the market and so you know i can definitely see that they have this new initiative called diana where they're going to be pushing um, basically entrepreneurship and tech Um, and i'm really excited to find out more about that as well and see how perhaps we could participate
0: So you're off to Brussels um, to go and give that talk and you've already spoken on stage in front of 70,000 people. I mean, you're, you know, you're almost a veteran already of this kind of scenario. But, you know, what are your kind of preparation techniques personally to get grounded, to feel confident, to feel, you know, stable in that moment? Are you being interviewed or are you actually giving a talk?
1: Um, Yeah, so firstly, I always get terrible stage fright it's something that I've always experienced I think it's not necessarily the volume of people but it tends to be like the fact that a stage is elevated and that there's light so that I can't necessarily see into the stage so it's definitely been a journey for me to learn how to deal with that Um, but how did you learn how yeah this is pure advice I am small things for example one of the things you don't realize is obviously your body goes into pure kind of shock like you're you're scared so that's what stage fright is you're just purely scared so your heartbeat goes up and you can't breathe and obviously you can't talk if you're not breathing properly so um you know what I do you know pretty much five minutes before I get on stage is I just start taking huge breaths just like in and out in and out the whole time until I have the mic in front of me and that really was like the game changer for me and it does sound silly like five minutes of doing that is actually quite a long time if you think about it but it's really been the only way for me to be able to control that breathing and then not panic when I can't find my voice Um, but also I think preparation because what usually happens is when you get scared you also blank out and you might just start speaking but your brain is still working in the background especially if you've learned something off by heart and so you know i found that you know making sure that i'm really prepared when i'm speaking in front of big crowds is super important um i've never felt the need when i'm speaking kind of even if it's just not on a stage i've always felt like i'm comfortable enough to wing it because you know these are topics i'm talking about every single day but add the lights add the stage and all of a sudden i really need to be prepared
0: Be prepared or prepare to fail was one of my favorite quotes from uh, actually one of my best friends who had a catering company. And, you know, she was catering to like 70, 80, you know, more than 100 people very frequently. And, you know, many, many days on the spin. And I was like, how are you doing this many people, you know, this many times a week? And, yeah, that's something she said to me that always stuck with me. I'd like to say it was from some, uh, you know, famous philosopher. I'm very excited. Um, We're going to put the link to that talk. In the episode show notes, if you do want to catch that talk live and direct um, on stage in Brussels um, in front of how many people?
1: I actually have no idea. Um, It's an invite only event. um, So we're not sure how many people have been invited, but there will be parts that will be recorded. My uh, talk included um, and I'm part of a panel of three people and that's going to be our chat on talent retention and attraction for women in STEM.
0: How are you going to celebrate Women's Day other than obviously being on stage at NATO which is a pretty big celebration but you know we're all about celebration today. It's our fifth year anniversary I can't quite believe it I haven't even mentioned it yet but um, yeah I think there's a lot of celebrating that needs to be done we had Balearic Day um, just on Wednesday this week and obviously we've got Women's Day I think it's Mother's Day in March as well it's the beginning of spring it feels like there's much to be celebrated.
1: Definitely and I'm obviously hugely honoured to be here in your fifth year um, celebration yeah I definitely think um, you know one of the best advice I ever received was to stop and to pause to celebrate the small wins because I I think that we forget that a lot and it's so important because sometimes you'll just see the negative and to maintain a positive outlook on the progress that you've made you have to stop and celebrate so I think I'll probably just take the evening off after I've gone and spoken to NATO go out in Brussels maybe have dinner have some drinks and then I'll be back in Ibiza the next day.
0: Who are you going to Brussels with?
1: Um, I'm going by myself I'm going by myself and then I'll be meeting uh, my NATO contacts uh, at the event
0: will you be out for moulin fritt in the evening? I mean, that's a pretty traditional uh, Brussels fair, maybe followed by a big fat waffle. Exactly. That would be amazing. <laughs> oh, it sounds incredible. And, I, I, you know, thank you for saying that about celebrating the wins because I think there was a little moment in my mind where I was just like, am I really going to have a party for the fifth birthday? And I thought, nah, that's ridiculously self-indulgent. But then I was thought... It's just, you know, it's not been that easy to to get this together, you know, week in, week out. Uh, Obviously, it hasn't been weekly for the whole five years, but making something, committing to it, putting the time in, getting it, you know, the guests booked and to record something and then to edit it and go through the whole technological process has been quite a journey on top of the day job. So, um, yeah, we are having a party tonight. Um, at 5 30 p.m here at the hub um you know you're so so welcome to come and join us if you're you're listening to this on uh, this morning friday morning and um it would be really a pleasure to um yes furnish you with a slice of birthday cake and a glass of bubbles i'm so happy that you can come and join us for cake and bubbles i hope you're going to be there definitely i'll definitely be there it feels rude not to and it is Ibiza Friday night after work. So, um, yeah, that's where we're going to be. It'd be lovely to see you all and thank you so, so much for listening to this um, for however long it's been and um, it's been a real pleasure to have you in our midst. I'm just completely blown away that you're, you know, two decades younger than me and absolutely smashing it and doing such incredible things and working here at The Hub remotely is also, you know, I think just the future of how everything's moving to have such interesting people entering the building as well it makes you kind of feel a bit more alive that we're in a kind of environment like this where everybody's rubbing shoulders together and doing such amazing things
1: yeah definitely I mean thank you so much for having me on the pod and thank you so much for the hub obviously for bringing us together it's
0: the reset rebel it's the reset rebel it's the reset rebel Coming to you every day